Detox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing angiotumera, biosimilar, and new research shows how a blood test could lead to early Alzheimer's diagnosis. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. It's Aisha here. After the release of this episode, we were contacted by a spokesperson for Amgen who let us know about some inaccuracies in our discussion of their Humira biosimilar Amgevita. Firstly, there is only one branded Amgevita medication being offered at two list prices, instead of the branded and unbranded versions that we referred to in this episode. Second, patients won't pay the same cost for Amgevita as Humira. Instead, two of the largest insurers in the U.S., Express Scripts and OptumRx, have announced they will list Humira biosimilars at parity with Humira on their preferred formulary tier. And finally, there are a few instances in which we mistakenly refer to Amgen as the manufacturer of Humira, when we should have said AbbVie. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter, Sarah Hand, and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story about Amgen's Amgevita and how it's finally entered the market after a couple of years as the very first Humira biosimilar. And of course, Humira is AbbVie's blockbuster arthritis injection, also known as Agilimumab. And it's been the world's best-selling drug for the past couple of years now. So Amgen's Amgevita has finally hit the market. Um, it hit the market last week the, at the end of January after it first received FDA approval back in 2016. Now, what's interesting is that Amgevita will be offered at two different prices. So the branded version is 5% cheaper than Humira's monthly price of $6,922. And also there is an, an un, sorry, there is an unbranded version that is 55% less. Now, um, although it seems that the cheaper price would uh, be the more popular one, um, experts are saying that the higher discounted price will likely not appeal to pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs that recommend which drugs most insurance providers should cover. Um, so due to rebate structures where most coinsurance costs are um, based off of the higher price, the more expensive version may end up being uh, the more favored one among insurance payers. And so this dual pricing strategy has been seen before. Um, most recently, Biocon and Viatris um, launched their interchangeable insulin biosimilar Semgly in 2021, which is a biosimilar of Sanofi's Lantis. And despite being more expensive, the branded version, again, ended up being the more popular one among PBMs and insurers over the cheaper unbranded one because of the uh, greater rebates for the mo more expensive version. Now back to Amgevita, Amgen says that uh, the drug now has four years of real-world experience and data in more than 300,000 patients across over 60 countries. 
Uh, Humira was introduced into the market 20 years ago now. And like I mentioned, for the last couple of years, it's been reigning as the world's best-selling drug. And it's been bringing in nearly $20 billion a year for AbbVie since 2018. And since its launch, it's brought in a total of about $200 billion. So Humira is approved for the treatment of about 10 different conditions. um, And those include rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and psoriasis, among others. Now, of course, AbbVie has been um, engaged in a lot of legal broils and uh, because it's been accused of creating a market monopoly with Humira by blocking biosimilar competition from entering the market and also engaging in price hiking of uh, Humira. So several companies, including Amgen and Alvatech, took AbbVie to court over claims of over-patenting and over-pricing to try to create this market uh, monopoly. So Amgen reached uh, a global settlement with AbbVie in 2017 after resolving litigation. And January 31st, 2023, this year, was set as the date for the launch of Amgevita, which went ahead as planned. So 2023 is a big year for Humira Biosimilar. So following Amgevita... Um, more than a handful of other Humira biosimilars will be entering the market this year. Uh, five alone are expected to launch in July 2023, and this includes Pfizer's Abrilata and Boehringer Ingelheim's Siltizo. Uh, in addition, Sandoz's Hirimos will follow suit in September. Um, there is also another, a new uh, bio, Humira biosimilar that's actually approved by the FDA back in December, just a couple of months ago, and this is Fres, uh, Fresenius Cabby's biosimilar Idacio. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, and so again, um, we're seeing the the list of approved Humira biosimilars just keep growing, and it's going to be an exciting year to see uh, the biosimilar competition finally. Um, come to fruition after a lot of uh, controversy um, that has ensued because of all of these um, over-patenting and legal claims and issues that have been taken to court. So um, taking a look again at the price points, um, you know, the, the idea and of course the whole um, goal behind a biosimilar competition or one of the big goals is to make uh, the drug more affordable for patients, but is that really going to be the case? So the new competition from Amgevita could bring down spending on um, adjalimumab by almost half, but there is real concern whether the cost savings will actually benefit patients. And this is because, as I mentioned, the rebates offered on the drug may only benefit uh, pharmacy brand managers and uh, insurance companies and may not effectively translate into lower out-of-pocket costs for patients. And so following the launch of Amgevita uh, on the 31st, uh, the executive director of the Biosimilars Forum, Juliana Reed, actually um, issued a statement uh, asking for PBMs to prioritize patients over profits. And she urged for Humira Biosimilars to be placed on all commercial formularies, including mid-year formulary access, uh, so that biosimilars become immediately available once launched. So that's one thing. And she also went on to say that the cost savings of biosimilars can only be realized if all biosimilars, especially for Humira, are fully available and accessible to patients who need them. And um, really that 
Um, because this is such a huge year for the biosimilars industry, it requires the full support of policymakers and stakeholders to give patients lower cost options that they deserve. Um, now, in addition to PBMs, um, most of the cost benefits experts say uh, or are worried uh, will, you know, also go to, of course, insurers, employers, and middlemen or intermediaries who negotiate deals with drug makers to determine insurance coverage for drugs and the prices that patients will ultimately pay out of pocket. So it's a whole um, complicated web, uh, uh, dare I say, in terms of how these prices are negotiated between insurers pharmacies and, um, you know, all of these uh, employers, middlemen and everybody involved. So it's a very complicated kind of a system. And uh, according to a report by NPR, uh, they were saying that these middlemen, of course, are looking up for their own profits and often favor coverage again for the for the more expensive drug. Um, if its manufacturer offers it at, um, you know, offers them a lucrative deal for that. Um, and already, uh, two of the largest insurance intermediaries in the U.S. have said that they plan to charge patients the same amount for biosimilar alternatives as for Humira. So, again, that's uh, quite concerning. And, um, you know, some say that this is because unlike generics of small molecule drugs, which are mainly formulated as oral pills, biosimilars are copies of biologic drugs, which are generally more complex and expensive to develop um, because, of course, they're made from living cells and their components. But then there are people who say that that's, um, you know, the, the biosimilar version should still be cheaper and be offered to patients at, at a lower cost uh, regardless because the R&D that's gone into it um, you know, it's already been done. So the development costs should be lower for biosimilars. Um, and then you also have the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act, which was intro- introduced in 2022. And um, that was an unprecedented move because that actually gives the government the potential to be able to lower the price of drugs, um, especially the most expensive drugs for people 65 years of age and older under the government's Medicare program. Um, but, <laughs> of course, a big but, drugs like Humira with direct competition now are excluded. So a lot of roadblocks, it seems, in terms of um, getting really the cost down for patients. So I just wanted to get your thoughts uh, on this. It's an exciting time as we've uh, um, covered you know, a lot of the controversy around AbbVie's Humira and then all of these uh, over-patenting price hike claims and blocking biosimilar competition. And now we're finally seeing all of these Humira biosimilars finally hitting the market this year. Yeah, I think um, my view is unless the biosimilars are going to be uh, less expensive, particularly for patients, as you say, there's a sort of trickle-down effect, and, and whether those mm-hmm. cost savings actually reach the patient level is, I guess, to be seen. Um, but unless they actually translate into cost savings for the patient, um, I don't know why a patient would choose Amjavita mm-hmm. over Humira, like the the branded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I also think it's it kind of begs the question, you know, like what's what was the point in that then? The like point? the only the only point I can see then in like allowing other drug makers to um, develop 
uh, biosimilars of these these biologics, you know, when patents have expired and that sort of thing, um, is so that, you know, they're able to get some skin in the game for a drug, yeah. as you say, has been one of the top sellers for a number of years. Uh, so I think that's too bad, especially since we're very much used to seeing um, generics, as you say, of small, uh, small molecule drugs being the less expensive option, and, you know, all the way down to the patient level. Um, I was curious to know, has Amjavita been granted interchangeable status that you know with Humira, mm. or is it just just a biosimilar at the moment? I feel like it's just a biosimilar at the moment, yeah. It's not uh, interchangeable. I think the other drug I mentioned, Semgly, I think that is an interchangeable, but the, the um, insulin... Um, biosimilar but yes i'm just looking it up right now and amjavita is not interchangeable with humira right okay because yeah. i think that's another important piece because we're seeing some drugs um yeah. or some some biosimilars being granted that interchangeable status which mm -hmm. means that uh at the pharmacy level the yes. pharmacist can decide to decide, to fill yeah. your prescription um for Humira with a biosimilar mm -hmm. uh, without having to consult with the prescribing yeah. physician, which is something that, you know, they're able to do with generic drugs right yeah. now. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think if it's not going to actually be cheaper for patients, then that's really too bad. Yeah, um, I was very surprised yeah. to, to learn about all of that and how the, the payment structures, I, I understand is quite complex, but I mean, it's just, you know, that trickle down effect is uh, doesn't happen in a lot of cases and i was very surprised it's like yeah what's the point of having these biosimilars then and i i get that manufacturing is still expensive yeah, as you sure. said because it's not mm -hmm. just a small molecule like drug um but you know as you pointed out as well i should the r d costs have already been sunk in yeah. by the the um you know, company that developed it. And so the, the um, biosimilar maker, while they've had to sort of reverse engineer this, this biosimilar um, and, and do their own testing and things like that, while that doesn't come for free, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure you can convince me that they've put in the same upfront right. cost mm -hmm. as, um, yeah, as Amgen. So that's my view. Were you also surprised to hear that um, even within the, the biosimilar or generics uh, kind of area, you can have branded and unbranded versions? Um, I, I wasn't too aware of that. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So I'm wondering, uh, like, is there any difference between those two or no? Because they're manufactured by the exact same. Exactly. It's, it's like a white label product. It's right. like... It's like uh, it's like generic store brand cheese and Cracker Barrel or whatever, right? Like it's yeah. the same cheese, but right. it's so. That's, I don't know. There was that's, just so much with this story that actually made me quite quite sad. Actually, yeah. when I was writing this, because I'm like, yeah. it would make sense if the branded one was like interchangeable while the other no. one wasn't, or something. Something, yeah. Yeah, like, some kind of significant I, difference i haven't been able to pinpoint anything that yeah differentiates the two except like price but based on what yeah just arbitrary i yeah. i didn't even think like a biosimilar would have a branded and yeah. unbranded version it's like what's yeah. yeah like sarah was saying what's the point of having a biosimilar then <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense but um 
Yeah, I'm sure um, they have, there is some kind of difference. Yeah. I feel like in just the broader like business sense, this is sort of um, what happens when you try to take down like a monopoly or, mm. or it, it like, I hope, hopefully that's, that's not the case in the future, but it just goes to show how important it is to be first to market with, with a certain product and, and how um, companies can use various laws and loopholes to maintain, um, you know, on top. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad to hear that as well. Uh, no one really has the patient's best interest in mind. It's really just a greed, greed factory, it seems in this case. Um, but yeah, you have been covering, we've heard about this, um, on the podcast before. Um, yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I understand Amgen, like, um, really seriously defending their patents and things for Humira, especially because it's such a big seller. Like I, I get from the perspective of a business that, especially a publicly traded business that has um, to answer to their shareholders, like defending those patents um, and defending their, you know, IP there. Um, I, I understand all of that. I think, um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think it just, uh, it gets tricky when the company happens to be making, you know, a medicine. I think, I think maybe you don't look as, as unfavorably on this kind of business practice for, for other businesses. I think mm. there's, it's just an, a whole other, um, tricky kind of conversation. And when you're talking about at the end of the day, like all the way down the pipeline, the end user for this product is a sick person who needs medicine. Uh, it puts things a little more into, into perspective. Yeah. yeah. And I almost wonder if there's like eight to 10 biosimilars being developed for other biologics, or is it, was this the focus on Humira? You know, because it's such a such a game changer and it's also making a lot of sales. Yeah, I think those are the big targets for these biosimilars companies are the ones trying to mm -hmm. take down these behemoths or at least grab a little bit of the market share, market right? Market share, yeah. Um, because it's like so, so lucrative. So lucrative, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I, I think like I can just see patients being kind of disillusioned with what we've been told for the past, right. I don't know, decade. The biosimilars <laughs> are going to be the answer to everyone's high drug cost problems, especially since more and more of the drugs that people are taking are, you know, complicated um, biologics medications as opposed to uh, small molecule traditional pharmaceuticals um, it feels a little bit like uh, well it's not coming to fruition right the promise of, of biosimilars at least from what we've seen um, so far maybe as more biosimilars of a certain drug hit the market and there's kind of more competition within, between them yeah yeah exactly. then maybe among, that's yeah. that's when you see some cost savings but uh, mm -hmm. otherwise like you said Sydney it's kind of um, you know it's a monopoly that gets broken up but not as not as quickly as, as um, some people would like. Yeah, excellent points uh, all across. All right, moving on to our next story. Um, this is about a new diagnostic test or the potential for the development of a new diagnostic test 
for the early detection of Alzheimer's disease. So researchers at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London recently uh, shared new research um, in which they found that uh, a potential blood test could aid in the early detection of Alzheimer's disease up to three and a half years before clinical diagnosis. So the, the researchers found that factors in the blood can potentially predict the risk of developing Alzheimer's years before a diagnosis is made. Um, and the results of the study were published in the journal Brain. Um, and the study showed uh, that the formation of new brain cells or neurogenesis in the hippocampus can be modified by elements in the blood. So Alzheimer's affects neurogenesis in the hippocampus during the early stages of the disease, but um, earlier studies only looked at neurogenesis in the later stages of the disease through autopsies. Um, so this new research is uh, very pivotal in pinpointing the, these changes in the brain and um, the association between Alzheimer's and the early changes that you see and how maybe a blood test could be able to detect those changes earlier on. So Alzheimer's disease um, affects more than 6 million people in the U.S. and 73% of them are over the age of 75. Um, so some Alzheimer's patients start off by developing mild cognitive impairment or MCI, which is a condition that involves worsening memory or cognitive ability. And among individuals diagnosed with MCI, 10 to 15% of them progress to Alzheimer's disease as observed in clinical studies and 5 to 10% in population studies. However, not all people again with MCI develop Alzheimer's. Um, and again, the early detection of Alzheimer's disease um, is a very important area of study because early treatment interventions can delay the disease and offer the opportunity for uh, patients um, to participate in clinical trials, which is, uh, of course, very important. So as I mentioned, hippocampal neurogenesis, uh, it's been shown to be sensitive to um, actually the systemic circulatory environment. So the researchers at King's College therefore wanted to see whether blood from MCI patients specifically, so patients who have this mild cognitive impairment, could influence neurogenesis in in vitro models involving human brain cells. So to understand these early changes, the investigators collected blood samples from 56 MCI patients over several years. And of the participants, 36 went on to develop Alzheimer's disease. So the blood samples from these individuals were termed MCI converters versus the samples from participants who remained cognitively stable, so who had MCI but didn't go on to develop Alzheimer's, were termed MCI non-converters. So the researchers found that brain cells exposed to blood samples from MCI patients had decreased cell growth and cell division with an increase in uh, apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. Um, what was interesting is that it also led to enhanced conversion of immature brain cells to hippocampal neurons. And the reasons for this increase in neurogenesis um, are kind of unclear, but the researchers speculate that it may be an early compensating mechanism for neurodegeneration in those patients developing Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, and then when they looked at um, the at older blood samples, so that were collected furthest away in time from when the participants were diagnosed with Alzheimer's, they found that changes in neurogenesis occurred three and a half years before a clinical diagnosis. And so the investigators were able to identify a panel of 15 different proteins that discriminated um, MCI converters from MCI non-converters, and these included um, things like different inter interleukins and chemokines, among others. So um, uh, one of the lead authors on the study, uh, Sandrine Thuret from King's College, explained that previous studies, again, have shown that blood from young mice can have a rejuvenating effect on the cognition of older mice by improving hippocampal neurogenesis. Um, so that gave them the idea of modeling that process of neurogenesis uh, using human brain cells and human blood. And they were able to see, again, the same kind of idea where um, patients with MCI, certain patients at least, um, have certain markers that can lead to, to neurogenesis and these changes that will lead to Alzheimer's disease. Um, so the researchers said that these findings may help in further understanding changes in the brain at the earliest stages of Alzheimer's disease, and that this could ultimately uh, lead to a test for the early detection of uh, the disease. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this new research. Um, again, Alzheimer's disease is a huge, huge area. Um, and uh, we've covered um, neuro, we, we continue to cover neurodegenerative diseases and like Alzheimer's here at X Talks quite a lot. And there's always amazing research to cover. So just wanted to get your thoughts on, on this newest one. And um, yeah, just the importance of early disease detection. I think that's really the way we're going um, for a lot of diseases. Yeah, I think this um, blood test, if it does become. Um, like available soon, so not just in the research uh, stage, right? I think it could really help um, identify individuals who have like the more early onset, like they're still in the early onset of Alzheimer's disease, and then those individuals can perhaps enroll enroll in clinical trials for like um, new Alzheimer's disease drug drugs. Like I think a month ago we talked about. Lequembi, or was it like a right. new Alzheimer's yeah. disease drug that was um, approved, but it was only for people with early stage Alzheimer's disease. So, and that the, of course is very difficult um, to make that diagnosis uh, at early stages. So, yeah, you know, I think it, still today, like Alzheimer's disease is is not a rare neurodegenerative disease. I mean, it's quite frequent in the elderly, especially, obviously. And there's even hospitals and clinics that are just dedicated to caring for people with Alzheimer's, right? So, of course, it's a big area of research. And I think to this day, like to diagnose Alzheimer's, doctors, um, they'll do tests to assess like memory impairment and other thinking skills, like, um, and try to identify behavioral changes. But that's just an observational, like level, it's there's no, you know, biomarker diagnostic test being widely widely used. Yeah, I think um, my my initial reaction to this story was, uh, you know, what's what will be the outcome if this is used, as you say, in Vera in um, in, you know, doctor's offices to, to see if somebody uh, is 
entering the early stages of, of mild cognitive impairment, um, you know, what, what do we do with that information then if somebody receives this even earlier mm-hmm. diagnosis um, because of the like limited treatment options that are currently available? Um, but I agree that I think at least at first, maybe until we have more treatments, this would be helpful for enrolling patients in clinical trials and, and, and um, you know, determining who is eligible to participate in trials. Uh, because I know some of these drugs that have been um, approved in the last mm-hmm. few years, like you mentioned Vera Lequembi, have been uh, surrounded by some controversy because of the um, potential side effects. Uh, and also, I think the limited, um, I, I think there was one, uh, what was that drug, uh, Sarah, that really big one? Uh, yeah, was this like a group? couple years ago? Last year, um Ah, Alzheimer's drug, that big one that was like had so much controversy around it. Uh, yeah. Shoot, I'm trying to look it up. Um, oh, Adjahelm. Uh, yeah, Adjahelm. Adjahelm. Yeah. 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 I mean, as we've seen with uh, some recent approvals of Alzheimer's drugs like Adjahelm and uh, Lequembi recently mm-hmm. as well, um, I think the concern there is also that they haven't been able to show a definite clinical benefit. So mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the underlying, like the drug is targeting an underlying mechanism, but, you know, reducing amyloid um, beta levels, fine, it does that. But um, in a lot of those clinical studies, it was unclear whether that led to a clinical benefit. So I mm-hmm. think there was a lot of controversy around that for sure. Yeah. Well, and that leads to like a bigger question of, you know that we that we still don't have answered which is like what is the the basis of alzheimer's disease like is it really the amyloid mm. plaques that are causing uh those symptoms i mean certainly it's not great to have those building up in the brain but there's still so much debate within the alzheimer's yeah. research community about uh what the basis for the the disease pathogenesis actually is and yeah. you know aisha you and i have attended a couple yes. alzheimer's um conferences and uh it's just interesting to see year after year how much more we know about this neurodegenerative disease, you know, than we did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but also how much there really is to learn. Um, And and some very fundamental basic things that I I think from an outside view, you might take for granted that we must already have these answers and Mm -hmm. and we don't. So I think that's one interesting thing, but certainly um, a, a challenge for drug developers. Absolutely. And just even the biomarker space, it's like you always hear, okay, this certain, um, you know, disease and researchers have found this new stellar biomarker or a panel of biomarkers. But then when it comes to validating them and, um, you know, in terms of the sensitivity, specificity and all of that, a lot of them really kind of fail and fizzle out, I I find. Um, You know, it's also very difficult to, to develop and to substantiate, validate uh, biomarkers that are disease specific so um, mm-hmm. that's also a, a a major concern as well with uh, these biomarkers and so it's uh, yeah it's it's very tricky but um, again like you said Sarah there's um, so much more to learn about the pathogenesis of uh, diseases like Alzheimer's and uh, yeah very intense um, areas area of study being the early detection of, of the disease so um, yeah 
All right, that is the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.